Well, it is here. Christmas is just a week away. And though for many, myself included, this is the most wonderful time of the year, unfortunately, it does come and go very, very quickly. But be that as it may, it is still a joyful time of the year. And it is a time of the year that Christians, who are really the reason that there is a Christmas in the first place, it is a time of year that Christians should rejoice in and we should take advantage of the opportunity that this holiday season provides for us. This is a time of the year that we need to see as really one of the greatest opportunities for fulfilling the commission that Jesus gave to us, his followers. Jesus commanded us that we would go into all the world and that we would proclaim the good news of the gospel. And what better time of the year is there to do that than at Christmas? Our culture still highly values Christmas. Even if we've added a whole bunch of trappings and distractions onto the holiday, Christmas is still the favorite holiday for most Westerners. Westerners don't celebrate Easter to the same extent that they do Christmas. So if virtually all of our neighbors and coworkers, pretty much all of our family members and friends are going to be celebrating this holiday, then really what that provides for Christians is a huge opportunity to share the good news of the gospel with them at this time of the year. And what exactly is that good news of the gospel? Well, as we have been sharing over the last several weeks here at Cross Connection Church, the good news that we share at this time of the year is that the gift-giving God has given us the greatest gift, the most needed and necessary gift, by, in, and through His Son, Jesus Christ. And our job as His followers and what we would say as His disciples is to clearly articulate what that good news is. We are to share or proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we read in 1 Peter chapter 2. There Peter says, but you are a chosen generation and a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people. Why? So that you would proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We who once walked in darkness, we have seen a great light. And that great light has brought us great joy. If you're in a really dark area and you see just a little bit of light come, then it causes your heart to kind of fill with joy. But we who were once in darkness have now seen a great light and it has brought us great joy as the prophet Isaiah talks about in Isaiah chapter 9. But not only has this light come to those who are in darkness bringing them joy, but it's also brought us freedom from bondage. And of course, that great light that we celebrate at Christmas is Jesus Christ. And now, having seen that great light and received the gift of his love, the gift of his grace, then we are to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, with all of that as a bit of a preface, let me remind you what we have been talking about this Advent season here at Cross Connection. This Christmas, we have been talking about some of the gifts of God. We have seen that we who love to give gifts and receive gifts, we love to give and receive gifts because God, who is the gift-giving God, has made us in his image and his likeness. And we have seen that our good God, our Father in heaven, he loves to give good gifts. We find that in the Old Testament, in a fascinating story in the book of Numbers about a prophet who was hired by some of the 
enemies of Israel to curse God's people Israel. This prophet, his name was Balaam, and as he stood up to begin to curse the people of Israel, all that would come out of his mouth was a blessing. And part of the reason that all that would come out of Balaam's mouth was a blessing was that is what we read in Numbers chapter 24. It says, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, his people, it pleased God to bless the children of Israel. So the Old Testament makes it very clear that our good God loves to bless his people. It pleased God to bless his people, the children of Israel. And then in the New Testament, in the Gospels, we find from Jesus, he says to his disciples in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God loves to give good gifts. It is his pleasure to give us good things. And so we find that from Balaam in the Old Testament book of Numbers. We find it from Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. But we also find it from the apostles in some of their New Testament writings in the epistles of the New Testament. We find this from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And then down at the end of verse 5, according to the good pleasure of his will. What that means is it pleases God to bless his people. We find that from Balaam. We find that from Jesus. We find that from the Apostle Paul. So not only does our good God love to give good gifts to his people, but also we have seen in this series of teachings, this Advent series, that God gives us good gifts to enjoy. And I think that this is a key and important truth for us for some weird reason. I find that a lot of Christians seem to live as if joy and enjoyment are somehow bad or wrong, as if it is somehow more spiritual to be like dour and morose. In reality, the scriptures teach that God desires our joy and our rejoicing and enjoyment. It honors and glorifies our God more when we are joyful than when we are kind of dour. In Paul's letter, his first letter to Timothy, we read in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, command those who are rich in the present age that they not be haughty nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, note this, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. We shouldn't be haughty or arrogant in our riches and our blessings. You know, living here in the United States of America, living here in Southern California, we are blessed with amazing abundance and blessings. We have phenomenal riches. And we have to be really careful as followers of God that we do not become arrogant or haughty thinking that we somehow deserve these things or we're better than other people that don't have these things. So we have to be very, very careful. Paul says, command those who are rich. So if you're watching this and you live in the Western world, you are among those who are rich, even if you don't think that you are as rich as other people. He says, command those who are rich in this present age that they not be arrogant or haughty in their riches. And on top of that, he says, command them that they not trust in or put their confidence in their abundance. Those are two major things that we can fall into, major pitfalls or traps, where we can begin to think that we are something special because we have all these things, or we can begin to put our confidence and our trust in the things that we have. So we ought not do that. Instead, we should rejoice in and trust in our Father who has blessed us with these things, and it's okay to enjoy all of his great blessings. The psalmist recognized in Psalm 103, verse 2, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves to praise God and bless God for the blessings that he has given to us. The psalmist there is saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. He's speaking to himself. He says, Do not forget all the blessings and benefits that God has given to us. So 
Our Father in heaven. He, the scriptures make very clear from Balaam, from Jesus, from the apostles in the New Testament letters, he loves to give good gifts and he has given us abundant blessings to enjoy and to rejoice in. And our enjoyment of his good gifts, it brings him glory. Again, back to that passage that I read from in Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul says that God has given us every spiritual blessing. He says there in Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And he has done this according to the good pleasure of his will at the end of verse 5. And then verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. To the praise of the glory of his grace. All of these abundant blessings that God, our loving Father in heaven, has given to us for our enjoyment, they all are to the praise of the glory of his grace. They are to stir us to praise him for his great grace. So God, who is a loving Father, has given us great gifts. These things are for our joy and enjoyment. These things are for his praise and glory. Finally, God gives us good gifts to share with and bless others. We find this truth from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. He says, as each one of us has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We have been blessed to be a blessing to others. We have not been blessed with all these great gifts that God has given to us, both physical practical blessings and also spiritual blessings. We have not been given these blessings so that we could hoard them and hold on to them. We've been given these things that we would share them as good stewards of the great grace of God. And in my message last time, if you were with us last week, or if not, you can go back and find that message on our website or our YouTube channel. In my message last time, I talked about God's great gift of love. God has poured out his love upon us in abundance by his Holy Spirit. He continues to pour out his love upon us in abundance by his Holy Spirit. He will do that through all of eternity. His love is abundant and great. And this love that has been freely given to us, it should cause us to rejoice. It is a reason to rejoice that we are the beloved of God and we ought to enjoy his loving kindness and we need to share his loving kindness with others. God pours out his love upon us to the point that it is so abundant it overflows and it ought to overflow to other people. We should be like conduits of God's love to other people. My prayer is that you have been able to be a conduit of God's love this last week and hopefully more so in the coming week as we lead up to Christmas. But love is just one of many wonderful blessings that God has poured out upon us in abundance. There are many, many more gifts that God has blessed us with. Physical blessings, practical blessings, spiritual blessings. He has given us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And today I want to highlight another gift that God has given to us in abundance. And as I do, I want you to remember, I just keep driving this point home over the last few weeks, and it's really, really important. God's gifts are given to us for our joy, for his praise, and for us to share with others. So with this in mind, I want to point your attention to a passage of scripture in the New Testament book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 16. The author of the book of Hebrews writes, Now when people take an oath... They call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without question, the oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. 
These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. I love this passage of scripture talking about God's promises and the oaths and the promise that he has given to us to fulfill those promises. And because of his oath, we have great confidence and we have this really important and essential gift, the gift of hope. Hope is, I find it to be a fascinating topic. Do you realize that hope is a good thing, but not just a good thing, it is an essential thing. Hope is an essential reality for our lives. I've shared this story before because I find it really, really interesting. The story about a man named Viktor Frankl. He lived in the middle of the 20th century and he wrote a great book, which I really recommend to you. If you've never read it before, I've recommended it here before. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish Holocaust survivor and he also was a neurologist and a psychiatrist in the mid-1940s. And during that period of time, he lived in the worst possible place of the world for Jews during the middle of the 20th century in the 1940s. He lived in Austria and in Germany. And so as a result of that, he lived for three years in German concentration camps, including Auschwitz. And it was there in those camps that he observed an important truth having to do with hope, which he writes about in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He recognized that those prisoners who gave up on life and were the first to be lost in the camps, they were the ones who lost all hope for the future. And they were, he says, inevitably the first to die. Modern psychologists have observed that hope is not just a feel-good emotion, but as in one article I read several years ago, hope is a dynamic cognitive motivational system. What, what on earth does that even mean? Well, writing for Psychology Today, the day after Christmas in 2011, a psychologist by the name of Scott Kaufman, he wrote these words. He said, talent, skill, ability, whatever you want to call it, will not get you there. Sure, it helps, but a wealth of psychological research over the past few decades show loud and clear that it is the psychological vehicles that really get you there. You can have the best engine in the world, but if you can't be bothered to drive it, you won't get anywhere. Psychologists have proposed lots of different vehicles over the years that will get you where you want to go. Grit, conscientiousness, self-efficacy, optimism, passion, inspiration, etc. They are all important. One vehicle, however, is particularly undervalued and underappreciated in psychology and society. That is hope. Dr. Kaufman, in his article there in Psychology Today, he argues for the reality that hope motivates us to move forward. Now, one of the challenges of moving forward is that, as we all recognize, and you don't have to look very far to find that this is true, we live in a broken and fallen world. The Bible makes that clear, but even without the Bible making that clear, all you have to do is just look around you. We live in a broken, fallen world. A world that can sometimes leave you feeling pretty hopeless. 3,000 years ago, King Solomon of Israel, he observed that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And we, at this present moment, 2022, coming into 2023, we are witnessing heart sickness 
on an astronomical level in our day. It is not good, the heart sickness that people are experiencing. This hopeless heart sickness is leading to, in huge ways, increased substance abuse, and unfortunately it's leading to increased suicide as well. And this is especially true. This was already true before 2020, but this is especially true post-COVID. I had about a 30-minute conversation a couple of weeks ago with a friend of mine who is a sergeant in the local police department. And he shared with me that this season has been super difficult on our law enforcement and emergency medical staff because they have been confronted by the effects of hopelessness like never before, he said. And we see it in a really really impactful and heavy way. But I want to remind you, or maybe let you know for the very first time if you didn't already know it, know it, Christmas and the celebration of Advent or the coming of Christ into this world is also the celebration of the Advent or the Advent of the eternal and abundant hope, which is a very, very important and good thing because the gift of hope is essential for life. Jesus's entrance into the world 2000 years ago is the entrance of hope into a hopeless world. One of my favorite Christmas songs that we sing at Christmas time says, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And it says this, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. We live in a weary world, a world that is weary because of the brokenness of sin. We see it all around us constantly. And Jesus coming into this world brings hope to a weary world and causes joy and rejoicing. Before Christ came to this world, we were without hope in this world. Paul says that very, very clearly in one of his New Testament letters in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by hands, that at that time, remember, you were without Christ. For some of you watching right now, you can remember a time that you were without Christ. Remember the time when you were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, you were not a part of the family of God. And strangers from the covenants and promises. You did not have a covenant relationship with him and you did not have his promises. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of of Jesus Christ. Do you remember when you were without hope in the world? Maybe right now you're watching this. You just stumbled upon this video on YouTube. A friend sent it to you. You saw it on social media somewhere. And maybe you are at this present moment without hope in this world. But for some of you who have received Christ, you can remember when you were without hope in this world. You did not have the promises that were for the people of God. You did not have a relationship with God all of those things. But now Christ Jesus is the one who comes and brings hope. Jesus brings hope to a hopeless and broken world. Now at this point, it is probably worthwhile to explain that the biblical concept of hope is different than what we often think of when we think of hope. For some people, hope is just kind of an optimistic feeling. It's not just an emotion though. What we find, the hope that we have in Christ is greater than just an optimistic feeling that everything will turn out well. For those of us who live in San Diego County, where I live and where I'm sitting right now, years ago, we had this football team. They have since left us. They've gone to a different place. And so they're kind of like accursed and anathema to us. But once upon a time, we had this, this football team here called the Chargers. 
And unfortunately, the Chargers had this terrible pattern of starting off both the season and mini games really, really well. And so you would come to the halftime of a game and they would be up, they could be up by three or four touchdowns. They could be leading the charge and doing really, really good. And as you're watching the game, you turn to your friend, you say, I have a really good feeling about this. I think we're going to win. And then the third and fourth quarter would come. And that optimistic feeling of hope, I think we're gonna win, it would be dashed. And, and that's the kind of hope that some people have. They have that chargers, I hope they will win sort of optimism. And it's just kind of an optimistic feeling, like I really hope that they will win. That is not what we're talking about when we talk about biblical hope. So biblical hope is greater than just an optimistic feeling, but not only is it greater than just an optimistic feeling, it's also greater than just a wishful thinking. See, there's another way that you can use the word hope where it's just kind of like a wishful thinking. Now, this is gonna get me into trouble. I think most San Diegans, we kind of feel the same about the Chargers, but there's another sports team here in San Diego that sometimes inspires a wishful thinking kind of hope. And uh, this is our baseball team, the beloved Padres. The Padres many times will start off a season or me, maybe just like we just experienced not too long ago, they will come into the, the run up to the World Series, the postseason, and they'll be doing really, really good. So much so that someone will say, I hope that the Padres make the World Series or I hope that they will win this whole series as they're coming into it. And then their hope is dashed. And that is a wishful thinking kind of hope. It's the same kind of hope that sometimes people will say things like, I hope I win the lottery someday. That's wishful thinking. So there's a kind of hope that's kind of like a, a blind optimism. And then there's a kind of hope that is a, a wishful thinking. But biblical hope is not just an optimistic feeling. It is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is greater than that. And Christmas brings hope for an absolutely certain future or outcome. 2,500 years ago, the nation of Israel was in the midst of a seemingly hopeless and dark situation. They were already being exiled from their homeland in Israel far away to Babylon. And the nation was in the midst of great turmoil. And in the midst of that, a prophet by the name of Jeremiah, he wrote a letter with a word from God to the children of Israel, to his people, to those who were about to be carried away into captivity and to those who were already carried away captivity from, uh, into captivity from Jerusalem into Babylon. And he says this to them, God's word to his people that had been exiled into Babylon, going through a really difficult time in Jeremiah chapter 29, a very famous verse, maybe familiar for some of you, maybe you've heard this before. God spoke to his people and said, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. The future and hope that God promised to his people 2,500 years ago, and the future and hope promised to us today in Christ. They are not mere optimistic feelings. It's not wishful thinking. Rather, it is great confidence and a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls, as I read back there in Hebrews chapter 6. In another place in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes that this certain hope that is given to us is a hope that does not disappoint. Wishful thinking, that kind of hope often disappoints. Blind, optimistic hope constantly lets you down. But the gift of hope in Christ is a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. 
and having such great hope as a precious gift from our Father in heaven, how should we respond? If we have this absolute certain hope, not wishful thinking, not blind, blind optimism, but an absolute, absolute certain that the outcome is going to come, what should be our response? Well, the author of the book of Hebrews gives us a word in Hebrews chapter 10. He says in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. God has gifted us with a sure and certain hope, which is an anchor for our souls. This hope should be a reason for us to rejoice. We should have great joy and rejoicing in this hope. And we need to share this hope with other people. But having this kind of hope as a gift from God, how should we respond? Well, the author of the book of Hebrews there in that passage, he gives us, I think, three ways in which we ought to respond. Number one, he says we should draw near to God. God has given us a promise that he will not go back on. And because his word is sure and steadfast, because his word will not be overcome, he will fulfill the promise that he made to us. So we can have a strong, confident hope in his word. And as a result, that should make us draw near to God. But not only should we draw near to God, the author of the book of Hebrews there in that passage in Hebrews 10 says, we should hold fast to the faith. We should continue to hold on to our trust and our faith in God. As we draw near to him, even if we go through difficult times, and it's possible that you're going through a difficult time right now. It is possible that in 2023, we're going to have some challenging times that we will go through. For certain, there are going to be people who go through really rough times, whether it's, you know, difficult problems within their family, or it's, you know, problems having to do with work or problems having to do with their health or whatever it may be, we're going to go through challenging things. But if we have a sure and steadfast hope in our God who has given us his great word and promise, then we can draw near to him and we can continue to trust in him. So first we draw near to God in response to hope. Second, we hold fast to our trust, our confidence, our faith in God. And third, the author of the book of Hebrews says that we are to encourage others to persevere and press on, to enjoy that fellowship within the body of Christ to stir up one another to love and good deeds and encourage people to maintain that relationship within the body. We have this strong confidence, this strong hope in God, and so we can encourage people to press on. And then finally, I'll close with this. If you look again at those final words in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, he says, and so much more as you see the day approaching. As I mentioned earlier from that article from Dr. Kaufman, Psychology Today observed, hope is not just a feel-good emotion, but it is a dynamic cognitive motivational system. It, it motivates us to move forward. The gift of certain hope in the resurrection motivates our faith and faithfulness. God has given me, he's given you, us, great hope in Christ. Such great hope is something to rejoice in and it is meant to be shared with others. I'm sure that you know a lot of people, I certainly know quite a few people who at this very moment, they find themselves without hope in this world. They 
They may have kind of a blind optimistic, oh, I really hope this works out, or a wishful thinking. I'm really hoping for this bonus in the future or this job in the future, whatever it is. And, and those things, they've been let down before because that kind of hope disappoints. But we have a certain steadfast, confident hope that is found in Christ. And as a Christian, having received this great gift of hope from God and rejoicing in and enjoying that great hope that I have in Christ, then I need to share that great hope with others. As I mentioned previously in 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are God's holy nation, his own special people. And he has separated you, set you apart as his people so that you would proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He has given you great hope. And this Christmas or in the lead up, the final week to Christmas. If you know that hope, if you rejoice in that hope, if you have joy in that hope that God has given to you, then you need to share that with other people. Because I guarantee you, there is someone that you work with, someone that you go to school with, someone who lives next door to you, a family member, a friend. There is someone who is lacking that kind of hope. And they need to see the light of that hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you, Take the opportunity. May God give you the boldness by his Holy Spirit to share that great hope with other people. Don't hoard it. Don't hold on to it all for yourself. Freely you have received, freely give. Father God, I pray that this season where we are celebrating with one another, where we are giving and receiving gifts, where we are remembering your coming to this world, God, I pray that you would impress in a huge way on the hearts of those who know you, your church, the reality that you're coming to this world brings us joy, it brings us hope, it brings us mercy, it brings us grace. You've given us these great gifts in abundance for our joy and rejoicing, for your praise and honor. And you've given them to us so that we would share with other people. So I pray that this week you would open doors of opportunity for my brothers and sisters to be able to share the good news of your hope with others. Not just a blind optimism, not just a wishful thinking, but a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls that does not disappoint the hope that you've given to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for that kind of hope. And Lord, help us to share it with others, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.